and welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on, he is a current assistant coach with the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL, but he's also a great friend and a coaching mate of a one Jeffrey Jehu Lavecchio as well. This was an awesome, awesome conversation before we do get over to Mike Barra. Let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today, man? Not much. I just put my tooth in for the listeners listening. So I know you can't see it, but I look hot. <laughs> Thank you to Triplet Dentistry in Kirkwood, Missouri. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I was wondering what you were doing as you were doing that. I just wanted to show you what it looks like. Uh, if you couldn't remember what I used to look like. And it's back out and lisp gone. Hey, hello, Jay Hulavecchio here. Dude, I'm doing great. I was super, super, super excited to get Bears on here. Um, you know, I had asked him to come on right when he got to Sioux city, maybe after a month. And he's like, you know, I, I don't want to come on yet. I want to want to coach the whole year. I don't want guys to think that I think I'm sweet, like about himself. Um, and he's like, and I want to see what I learned this year. And then it'll be cool to talk about at the end of the year. You know, he's just a super, super good, humble, unreal, intelligent, ever evolving human being. So I, I think this is one that a lot of people in hockey are going to like, and a lot of coaches or, or up people wanting to be coaches. Yeah, this was awesome. Like, this was awesome. And this is one we're doing the intro, like, literally right after we got off with them. <laughs> um, just because Jeff and I have a lot going on right now. And this was unreal. Like, this was one of my favorite conversations. And uh, we talk about it all the time. Like, we have so much respect for people who put in the work and aren't afraid of the grind and and earn their spot with with where they are. And he's certainly one of those guys. And I think that everybody who listens to this episode will understand that once they're done listening to him. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about it. I, uh, I didn't know that he started off coaching for free and paying his own way to trips <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, that, if that's not love of the game, I don't know what is. And, you know, like we always talk about like, dress for the job you want, work hard for the job you want, the, the, you know, the role you want on your team, whatever it is, like nothing is impossible. Like you can, it, it could be hard and it might not happen, but like, you don't want to be the person living with regrets. And Barrett has just like lived by that type of uh, philosophy and like, look where he is to go from paying for gas to out of town tournaments, paying your own hotel, losing tons of money, coaching your first year to a USHL, the best junior league in North America, probably uh, assistant coach. It's, it's awesome to see. And it was earned and I love it. You, when you just said no regrets, you ever see the movie, we are the Millers. No regrets. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he spells it wrong. The tattoo. Yeah, no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. Oh, that was pretty funny. Um, okay, before we get over to Mike Barra, a couple things I want to talk about. Number one, congratulations to friend of the show, one of your besties of all time, Paul Stastny, this week playing his 1,000th NHL game. That is absolutely incredible and like as one of his besties and somebody who you grew up playing with um how cool is that to see dude a thousand games i texted him and i was just like man 
like I, I can literally can't even believe it. It's unbelievable. Like I remember being forced to do plyos down the driveway just to get in his pool when I was in fourth grade because <laughs> his dad would make us do frog leaps down the driveway for 30 minutes before we got in the pool. Everybody would be like, oh, you want to go to Stas' house? We'd all be like, eh, sick house. But yeah, we're going to have to do frog leaps down the driveway before we're allowed to do anything. You know, looking back, it's hilarious. We didn't even know who Peter, that Peter was a god in the hockey world and, you know, second in points behind Wayne Gretzky in the 80s. I had no idea. Just that's Paul's dad making us jump jump all over the place and my legs are sore. Uh, so, you know, it was pretty cool. Then getting to play with him in juniors. And uh, finally the last like year uh, training him uh, all online using train heroic, uh, really, really cool. And just to see all the progressions of his life. Like he was always just thinking wise, you know, you played with him too, like so yeah. far ahead of everyone else physically was a little bit lacking and he could get by just by, by, you know, how smart he was and how good he was at hockey. And I've seen him evolve and start to care about his sleep and care about his body from, you know, college to his first year pros to growing as a pro to now his thousandth game and all the questions he asks, I write him training programs and he's like, well, why are we doing this? And this feels good. And should I feel this? Should I not feel this? Where am I supposed to feel this? Like, wow, I've never felt that before. And it's like, dude, this guy's got going into the season with 900 and whatever, how many games and he cares that much about his preparation. It is so cool to see, and it is earned. There's a reason that you get to a thousand games in the NHL. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I texted him too. And, and like the thing that I think is the biggest part of how awesome it is to reach that is just the roller coaster of professional hockey and being able to maintain and get better throughout. Um, that is nothing short of amazing. Like I know playing in the NHL is glamorous and at least it seems that way, but the amount of work, the amount of sacrifice, the amount of just pure sheer will that you need to be able to accomplish playing in the league for that long. I just think that's a testament, not only to how good of a hockey player is, but just how dedicated he is to his craft. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really cool was on social media the other day, Mike Kelly from the NHL network uh, did an interview with Staz where they went through some plays and they were basically talking about hockey sense and hockey IQ. And it was, it was a masterclass on hockey. You know, you, you're, and like everybody who plays with Staz from you to people who are making millions and zillions of dollars in the NHL, talk about him being the smartest player that they've ever played with. And so I would encourage everybody to go online right now and search on the Google machine, uh, Mike Kelly's interview with Paul Stastny. And, and uh, it was just a really cool window into somebody that thinks the game on a whole nother level. And, and I think the other thing that I wanted to say about that too, was like Staz was not the best player that we knew um, at 15, 16 years old. He, he really wasn't physically. He wasn't where other people were. And I just think it's such a, um, such a important thing to talk about because we talk about all the time, like the, a lot of times in youth hockey, the bigger, more physical kid um, reigns and we allow them as coaches to skate in a straight line <laughs> and score goals. And that doesn't translate to hockey at the higher levels. And Staz physically wasn't 
like where everybody else was, but he always thought the game at another level. And that's what translated. And that's what ended up getting him into to where he is today. So I think it's just a tale for all the players out there. Number one, that are 16 years old and maybe aren't the best player, but still have these aspirations. Like neither was Stas. He just played his thousandth game in the NHL. Um, and the other thing is as coaches, we really have to teach kids to learn how to think the game. Um, and not just allow the bigger, stronger, faster players to get away with stuff because that stuff doesn't translate. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable, and it's so funny, like, exactly what you're saying. Like, Staz was always Staz, and I was the kid that everyone was talking about, like, even when we were 15, because I was just blowing the doors off of everybody because I just happened to be, you know, a good skater. I mean, I worked at, but I was just a good skater, and Staz would do everything on the ice, and I would just fly around, and he'd somehow put the puck on my tape on a breakaway, like, literally three times a game. Like, I, I don't even understand what he was doing. He'd just be like, all right, you do this, go over here, and then go. And I'd just go, and just I'd look back, and the puck is, like, hitting me on the tape. I'm like, oh, my God, breakaway, what's up? Like, crazy, like, crazy, 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 you know? And uh, I wish, you know, knowing what I know now, I wish I would have been asking him, tell me what you see. Like, what should, what should I be looking for? Like, stop just letting me skate around people wide, because that's not going to work forever. But, uh Absolutely, a- absolute professional, uh, great guy. He listens to almost all the episodes of the show and he's in his thousandth game. Again, talking about like guys who just constantly love their craft and love trying to find a way and kids listening. Like literally, I'm not kidding you. Paul Stasny listens to every episode of the <laughs> hockey thing. Like not joking, he'll text us all the time about like hilarious stuff. Like, oh, or, oh, hey, I love this one or hey, I love that one. And it could be in the middle of the summer. It could be in the middle of the NHL season. And he's listening because he, you know, he learns from it and he laughs and like, whatever. So, you know, keep learning. It doesn't matter who you are. You're, you're not good enough. You can always get better and take that from a guy who just played his thousandth game. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, so congrats to Staz. Another great story in the NHL this week I want to talk about is Danny Walcott. So Danny Walcott, I've known since he was like five years old and it's not like we've kept in touch for that long, but his dad worked at the same rink that my dad worked at for some time in Chicago. And so I was on the ice with him when he was like five years old, just a little guy, you know, skating around or maybe a little bit older than that. I can't remember. Um, But Danny Walcott was a kid who played Illinois high school hockey. And then he went and played um, ACHA division one hockey at Lindenwood. Club hockey. He's a club hockey player at Lindenwood. Then he went to the QMJHL, played major junior. Then he got drafted by the New York Rangers. Then he slugged it out in the AHL for five, six years and just played his first NHL game the other night as well. And so just another awesome story of a great person. And uh, it's interesting because he played for Tampa Bay and their AHL team is in Syracuse. And uh, he's one of those guys. He's an older guy that just his teammates absolutely love him. Like he's playing in the AHL because he's a great teammate and he's a great mentor. Not to say he's bad, like he's a really good player too, but like his role is to mentor. And uh, he was talking um, the other day because he actually, since he's around here in Syracuse, he helped out with one of the teams in our program um, just because he was around. And so he coached our 08 team <laughs> or helped coach our 08 team. And, uh, I remember talking to him about when Tampa Bay won the cup, it's their farm team that he plays for. And so he's grown up with all those guys, you know, the, the Braden points and the, the Chernax and, and all those guys, like he played with them and was a huge influence on those guys. And he was telling us how, when Tampa Bay won the cup, literally those guys got on the phone and FaceTimed Danny, 
um, from the ice holding up the cup because they wanted him to be a part of it. That's how great of a teammate he was. And I remember having that conversation with them, like, dude, like Tampa Bay won the cup a lot because of you, because you might've not played a game in Tampa Bay yet, but the effect that you've had in a positive way on these players who are now up there and killing it, that cannot be understated. And so I, I'm just so happy for him that he got to play in his first NHL game, um, got into a fight, <laughs> which is hilarious too. Um, but the other thing that was really cool about it too was um, he, so he's an African-American player and Tampa Bay, John Cooper started the first, what we think all black line um, in the NHL. And I just think that's a really cool thing for our league and for our sport. And the more diverse we can make our sport, the more people we can bring into our sport, um, I, I think the better. And the fact that we're, we're sitting here talking, we still obviously have a long, long ways to go when it comes to diversity in our sport. But the fact that um, we were able to start an all-black line in the NHL, I mean, it's, we're at least taking some, some steps in the right direction. And uh, just a great story because, you know, we, we talk about it. If you can't see it, you can't be it. And so there's other African-American kids out there that are listening to, to this or seeing Danny and, and that line on, uh, on the news or on YouTube or whatever. And they're saying, oh, okay, maybe I can do that one day. And there's nothing better than that. So congrats to Danny. Um, awesome, awesome kid playing his first NHL game. You know, he was a, he was a club college hockey player and just worked and was a great teammate and uh, just very cool story. Unbelievable. There's nothing better than the guys that, that this happens to. I absolutely love hearing it. It is so cool to, to see these stories, to watch it. I watched him come out of the tunnel and, you know, yelling before the game and all the boys being into it. It's so, so, so cool. Like that's the stuff I absolutely love to see about sports. Yeah, totally. So um, that was great. Uh, before we get over to Mike, we are going to talk a little bit about the people that support our show um, first one, Vex, this one is going to be sick because ice hockey systems, we've been talking about them for a while and we've been kind of like teasing a little stuff because we at the hockey think tank are going to be doing a lot more stuff with them in the future from an official standpoint. And they, so, so they have acquired basically all of our content, um, our hockey content. And we are going to be partnering with them to, to get that out there. And so I can't even tell you how excited I am for this partnership because those guys are awesome. The people who, who run ice hockey systems do such an unbelievable job of, of making the hockey world better. And it's a website that they have a ton of drills. It's kind of what they're known for, but they also have a ton of whiteboard breakdowns. They have a ton of culture stuff. Um, they actually have this draw um, drill drawing tool where you can go on and you can plan your practices and draw drills and put it up into a library and then send that library to your teams and your players. Just like you were saying on this podcast with Mike Barra, how he would always send you the practice beforehand. Like these guys make it so easy for coaches to be better at their jobs. And it just makes it easier for them to be able to disseminate all their information. So they've acquired almost all of our content from the hockey think tank. We're going to be doing uh, another announcement next week on how we're going to disseminate that out to make an even bigger dent on the hockey world and i am just so excited for that yeah that's very very cool i'm i'm so excited and i can't wait to uh be inseminated with that information <laughs> 
Can you spell that or use it in a sentence? <laughs> oh, you're a beauty. All right. Anyway, uh, so Ice Hockey Systems, awesome sponsor for the podcast. They've acquired a lot of the Hockey Think Tank content. And uh, we're going to have another announcement coming up next week on something that's going to blow the doors off uh, the hockey world. So thank you to Ice Hockey Systems. Thank you to Gel Sticks, our title sponsor. These guys have been with us every step of the way, and uh, we appreciate their support. Go to gelsticks.com, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. And if you're looking for a weighted training stick, or lacrosse stick or golf clubs, anything to make your game better in some of the greatest games in the world. Go there, use the think tank discount, think tank one word to get a discount on that. Train heroic, Jeffrey. Train heroic. Thanks, boys over there. Josh and the boys. Dirty Mike and the boys. Another great reference from a movie I've referenced in this podcast. Bad <laughs> cop, bad cop. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. Um yeah, thank you to Train Heroic. It's where I uh, do all my online training. Uh, it's been a super exciting year with all that stuff. Training the Tri-City Storm, which was my absolute pleasure. It was a, such an honor for them to even ask me. Trained a USHL team the entire season. The entire season, I was their strength coach, all from St. Louis while they played in Tri-City. Uh, I would have flew on, not flown out there a couple times throughout the year had it not been a COVID year, but we decided to just do it all online so I could save the team a ton of money and also get them more quality workouts per week throughout the season. Their coaches and their players told me they thought it was a main reason why they had, you know, the year that they had. So um, super exciting with everything I have going on train heroic and all the online programs. And I just want to say this because I can't remember if I said this on the podcast last week or not. But uh, any first responders, teachers, doctors, nurses, police, firefighter, EMTs, anyone who wants to use any of my online training or your families, it will be 50% off for life for anything. The train with me team, or that's average Joe's joining my workouts or the hockey stuff, uh, just to say thank you. Jeffrey Lavecchio, man of the people. And thank you to all those people. They deserve it. So um, with that, we also want to thank all of our listeners. We so appreciate everything that you do for us to support this podcast and spread the word. Please, 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 if you think that what we're doing can be of service to the hockey world and can make a positive impact, um, please help to share us, whether it's with your email groups on social media, your Facebook groups, whatever it may be. We really appreciate that. Also, if you can go in um, and you can shoot us a rating or shoot us a review, helps to legitimize our podcast. So when people are looking for some good hockey podcasts to, uh, to listen to, uh, they will see all of those ratings and reviews and say, oh, that looks pretty good. Maybe I'll take a shot. <laughs> so uh, we so appreciate all your support. Um, last week's episode where I talked about my, uh, my experience as a hockey director i got so much feedback from so many people who can empathize with a lot of this stuff i had a lot of parents that reached out uh, i had a lot of coaches and hockey directors that reached out as well and um, I, I think the biggest thing that i hope people took out of that podcast is there's not one right way to do things and i think people demonize other people in the youth hockey world i myself included who will look at what maybe some other people are doing and say that's not the right thing those people aren't doing it for the kids and that's you know a lot of the times that's just not the case they're 
are just doing something differently than you. So rather than pointing the fingers and, and tooting your own horn and, and bringing other people down, maybe learn from some other people who are doing some things differently than you. And uh, I hope it would create a much more harmonious youth hockey world. <laughs> I feel like it's pretty cutthroat. Uh, so uh, I, I appreciate all the feedback that came from that episode as well. So um, you guys are going to absolutely love this one with Mike Barra. And Jeff, you got one thing to end things off here. I do. I'm totally sorry. I ruined your flow there to do the, and here it is with Mike Barra, which is my favorite part of the episode. Excuse me? Excuse me? It's my favorite part of the episode. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What is the soup of the day? Mm, Sounds good. I'll have that. (laughs) I just want to remind everybody, uh, anybody who doesn't follow me on the gram, uh, just dropped episode three of Vlogging Vlogging with Vex on torchpro.com. It's a free website. Even if I wasn't on there, I would still tell you to go there because I love behind the scenes stuff for athletes. I don't care what sport it is. I don't like watching baseball. I don't like watching football, but you give me a behind the scenes on their daily lives or them training or their nutrition or anything. I'm all in because I love learning from high level athletes, high level performers on how I can be better and how I can instruct my guys to be better. And so uh, Torch Pro and I have been teaming up on these vlogs and the third one just released uh, today, which is Wednesday. This will be coming out on monday a few days later so torchpro.com it's a free sign up you can watch my vlogs there and this one was with one of my clients chris weidman who is going to be headed to the world championships in latvia by the time this comes out i'll be allowed to say that and uh the episode features him and it's a really cool episode you'll see what a good guy he is and kind of everything he has going on and a little little bit of light training with him too so good episode i hope you guys watch it chris weidman good man Good man, that rubble still skin. <laughs> <laughs> so many movie quotes in this episode. I love this. Uh, all right. Without further ado, here we go with Sioux City assistant coach Mike Barra. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He's in St. Louis right now as a new proud papa. Got a three-week-old daughter at home, but he's an assistant coach with Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL. Mike Barra, Mike, what's going on? How's it going, guys? No, not not too much. Just trying to uh, to make sure that the daughter figures out that 3 a.m. is sleeping time and not uh, party time. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Well, I think it's awesome to get you on the show here, Mike, because. I feel like my partner in crime here, Jeffrey Lavecchio, freaking mentions you every third or fourth episode and his experience with you coaching uh, at the midget level in St. Louis. And you've been able to, uh, you know, take that success that you had and growing that program out there and, and earn a spot as an assistant coach in the USHL, which I think is awesome. And I, I definitely want to dive really, really deep into that uh, in this podcast here. But just to kind of start, just to introduce you a little bit to our listeners that probably already feel like they know you from Vex here, but uh, um, give us a little bit about your background and how you got started and falling in love with this great game of hockey. Yeah, so um, no different than a lot of other guys that you've had on the podcast. I just you know, grew up playing the game, loved the game. Um, wasn't a great player in the game by any means. Um, just played in the St. Louis area, played the double A, A levels, um, all the way up to high school hockey and, um, screeched out a, uh, three-year varsity career, uh, at the Smet high school, which is one of the better, uh, hockey programs here in St. Louis and was the captain my senior year. And, um, at the end of the year, I just kind of knew I wasn't really going too, uh, too far in the game of hockey. So decided to 
you know, hang them up in a way um, from just playing and went to uh, the University of Missouri, Columbia, um, Mizzou, uh, some of you guys may know it. Um, went to school there for, uh, for four years. And really, as soon as I graduated from there, like I just, I, I obviously was still a fan of the game, loved the game, um, diehard blues fan all the way through. And I really just wanted to get back into the game and in some way. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I do have to tell you the last person that had a similar story to you, I think is like our third most downloaded, uh, episode in, in Tyler Parks where he was playing high school hockey there in St. Louis and then went on to do some pretty great things like where you're at right now. So no pressure, no pressure. Parksy freaking hit it out of the park. So, uh, you know, what are you, what are you going to have for, for our listeners here today? You better freaking do it too. <laughs> I mean, I love Parksy. There's no doubt about it. Parksy's a great, uh, a great guy. So if I can even come, uh, come half as close as he did to putting on a heck of an episode, I'll, uh, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> I love it. Well, Vex, I'm going to throw it over to you here because you, you obviously know Mike a lot better than I do. Uh, you've coached with them. You guys are both in the St. Louis area and done a lot of different stuff together. Um, I, I think we have a lot of, actually not, I think, I know we have a lot of youth hockey coaches and, and parents that listen to this podcast. What in your mind, and I'm going to make you blush here probably a little bit bears, but like, what in your mind made Mike such a great coach at the youth level? I'd say continuously evolving. I remember when I came back uh, while I was still playing, I don't know if it was like my, my ninth or my, my second to last year, my last year playing pro, I'd always come home and in the summer I would coach one of the spring AAA teams and um, Bears was running the program then, and, and I, I'd probably met him before, but I don't really remember meeting him up until this point. And uh, he was running the program, and up until that point, the program wasn't – it didn't – you know, it, it wasn't what it could have been. It wasn't what it should have been. And Mike took it over, and he was killing it. Like, he had, you know, practice plans, and he wanted guys working on this and coaching this, and it was unreal. And uh, I just went up to him, and I was like, you know, um, I've been running the practices when, with my own teams – in the, in the spring leagues here, when I come home, trying to teach them like the newest things I've learned this last year, you know, every year in pro, like you're learning new, new things that are like becoming, they're going to trickle down in the game. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And he, he's like, I'm going to watch and I'm going to take notes. And I was like, Whoa, like a lot of people, you'd say that to them and they'd be like, nah, I'm, I'm the director. I'm running the show here. And I was like, wow, like, th okay, that's awesome. Like, that's really cool. And just we, whenever we talk, we talk about hockey and talk about things he's noticing, things I noticed. When I started coaching with him, he's constantly asking me things and I'd ask him things. And he, he never had like a, a set mindset. He was never like, we have to do this. It was kind of like coaching by committee too. And that was really cool because we had some really good staff. Chris Durso, who's the head coach at the SMET, the head coach at AAA Blues uh, now after Durst left and constantly asking us, what are you guys seeing? What do you, you know, what's happening here? collecting as much information as you could from the players, the coaches, the parent, like everyone, and, and then making the final decision, which was his. And he knew that and responsibility laid on him. It was just constantly evolving, constantly learning. It was really, really fun to coach with him and, and watch that and be on the sideline for that. It was an unbelievable two years. And when he moved up to Sioux city, I was like, I honestly don't even want to coach if bears isn't the head coach. And I didn't. So <laughs> I think that's funny. Well, Bears, let me ask you this question. It's something that I've been thinking a lot about and actually talking to a lot of people about too. And that is like, I feel like the best coaches 
can find the balance of sticking true to certain principles that they really believe in from like a value standpoint and just things that they, but they're also not so stuck in the mud where they can, you know, they can adapt, like you said, and they can evolve and and get better. And sometimes that's a tough, especially as a head coach, that's, that's a tough thing to navigate. And as an assistant coach, that can be really hard when you're watching your head coach try to navigate too, because, you know, there's certain things that you want them to change and do, but you know, they have these values, but so like, where, like, how do you kind of navigate that in your process of growing as a coach? Yeah. I mean, Toph, I think that to me, there's always just two principles that stick out in my mind and it's just, you know, to play for me and for me to love you as a player and just, you got to work hard and you got to be a good teammate. Like if you do those two things, like we're going to get along, you know, just fine. And those are really non-negotiables for me. And I feel like those are non-negotiables because that person can choose, you know, to be a good teammate. That person can choose um, to work hard. Like those are choices that every single individual can make. And so, you know, when you kind of, you know, when players would come up to my tryouts and they want to talk to me about coach, like, what can I do to make your team? Like, those are the two things that I always told them. And like I said, it's just pretty simple because they can control those things. I love that. <laughs> I don't know I if for me to jump in there. Bears, I Bears, <laughs> Bears was, uh, Bears was always, uh, he was great at holding the, the kids accountable, but in ways, you know, being a good teammate, being a good person, cleaning up after, you know, we got a call from a hotel. I don't know if it was the first year I coached him or the second talking about somebody was there. Somebody worked at the hotel and how, how unbelievably well our group was um, well-mannered and cleaned up after themselves. And when we went on trips, we went without the parents. I mean, that's, that's a reflection on the coach, you know, making sure that the kids are learning those things and, you know, the, the, all these life skills that you and I constantly talk about. So if he's a big uh, proponent for and always focusing on the person as well as the hockey player, where sometimes, you know, we know in this crazy world, it, it gets mixed up probably too often. Yeah. It's, it's uh, during the hockey season when Jeff's coaching, there's always that like, uh, it's usually like once every three, four weeks, you get the post on social media of like the hotel room or the locker room where it's a mess and he's losing his mind <laughs> or the other way around where it's, it's actually nice. He's like, see, this is what should be happening. So, um, it's so true. Like when you're a coach, I feel like a big part of our jobs is just to like teach those little things, those little life lessons. Cause those go a long way. And, uh, but at the same time, like the consistency to hold those kids accountable to those standards is that's hard, especially for youth coaches that have a million other things going on in their lives, their nine to five jobs and their families and, and all of that. But like, you know, why do you think that stuff is so important bears? Like, why do you put so much focus and, and, and execution in your coaching style and making sure that like the locker room is clean and the hotel is good and people are saying thank you and, and stuff like that. That's a good question. I mean, I think for me, it's, we're trying to create, you know, obviously good hockey players, but at the end of the day, like these guys aren't necessarily, you know, going to be hockey players the rest of their life. Like they're going to be businessmen. They're going to be in the workforce and, you know, those principles of working hard and like Jeff said, cleaning up after yourself and, you know, being the hardest working guy in the room all the time and, you know, holding yourself accountable, holding yourself to a standard of excellence. Like that's what we want just out of a person and out of people. And, you know, I feel like when 
players do that and they hold themselves to that, you know, to that standard off the ice, like they actually show like a progression of themselves on the ice as a hockey player as well. So it just, those two things just really kind of go together is like, if you're a good person and you work hard and, you know, you do the right things over and over again, well, guess what? That's going to show up in your game as well. Like Tolf and I always say, how you do anything is how you do everything. And, and I truly believe that all of that, you know, I was in the weight room today watching people not put their, or like a public gym, watching people not put their weights away. And I was like, that's unacceptable. And like, that's why you probably cheat in here. You cheat at work, you cheat wherever, like you cheat somewhere, you're cheating every, everywhere. You, you do things the right way. Like, I, I think there's such a reason for emphasis on that, like you said. And then from the hockey standpoint, like if you're the guy who's always putting his trash away, always putting his chair back in, you're also going to focus on stopping at the net, back checking hard, talking on the ice because you focus on the little details and that translates to everything in life, I, I think. And I've seen with so many guys. Vex, this is hilarious. Like when you started saying that, I literally word for word was going to say the same thing that you did. <laughs> like yeah, to, to a T, I was going to say, Vex, we talk about this all the time. How you do anything is how you do everything. And then just keep going from there. So we are in sync. I like it. Um, so more of, a ba- more of a backstreet boy, but that's okay. We're in sync. <laughs> That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Um, okay. So bears with that. So as we're going through here, like, you know, you have this can see another thing that Vax used to always not used to, but is, is talking to you about and, and why he really enjoyed coaching me was your preparation for it. Not even necessarily just practice, but your preparation for everything, like every meeting, um, every beginning of the season trial or not trial, uh, training camp, like everything was very, prepared and methodical with what you did. Um, I feel like that's another thing that, um, again, it's something we as coaches ask our players to be all the time, but never really expect that out of ourselves, you know? Um, so like, how important is that to you? And, and like, how do you go about, like, take me through your process of preparing for like a meeting with a player or, um, a a practice that you're planning? I mean, obviously, I think uh, this might be a little bit of a uh, cliche here, but I mean, preparation breeds confidence. And so, um, you know, I know that if I'm working hard and I'm preparing and, you know, I got a good pre-scout for a team going and you know, I have an idea of who their top guys are, who their bottom guys are and the matchups I want to have on the ice, you know, I feel like I'm prepared. And when I'm prepared going into a game, I feel like the team understands that I have confidence and then now they should have confidence in themselves. And I feel like when a team and players get that information as well, I mean, they get confidence out of it. Um, I was actually just talking to some of our players in Sioux City today about, you know, the pre-scouts that we did for them um, throughout the course of the year. And they loved them because, you know, they would look at the pre-scout, they know who they're, you know, who they're going up against. And if they're on the ice against, you know, their top player, their top line, they'd understand as defensemen, how they're, you know, the other team forechecked and how they could break that forecheck or, you know, if they're on the penalty kill, like, you know, what their power play was doing, what their trends were going for. And so for us, like, I mean, you, you were prepared, you built confidence out of it. Every kid listen to that preparation breeds confidence. Consistency breeds confidence. Confidence is this thing that it's like this almost mythical 
thing that we're all either having or not having uh, based on whatever day it is. But, and we've talked about it, Vex, like confidence is a spectrum. You can gain a little bit or you can lose a little. You don't either just have it or you don't. You can't buy it at Target. It, it, you earn, we've talked, we, you earn your confidence. You earn your confidence, Bears, like what you're saying, by preparing and working hard and doing things consistently on a day in, day out level. And you know, I feel like a lot of kids really miss out and probably coaches too. We're talking about coaches too. Um, a lot of kids miss out because they feel like confidence. They, they show up to the rink and then they go out for warmups. And it's like, all right, I hope I have it today. It's like, no, it, it doesn't work like that. You show up to the rink and you have it when you've put in the work from Monday to Thursday. And when you show up on Friday, that's when you're, you're ready to go. You know, so preparation breeds confidence bears. I absolutely love that. Um, and it works both ways as a player, like we just talked about. And as a coach, when you're prepared, your team has confidence in you and your team has confidence in your structure and the things that you want to do as a team and your team play. And it just, it, it like, I can't stress how awesome what you just said was. And uh, I absolutely love it. And Tolf, that, that preparation from him was NHL level coaching U16 and U18 AAA Blues. And, you know, that saying dress for the job you want, it, it's a metaphor. I read it in a book. Um, it, it, <laughs> you, like, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, I read but, it like, but in, like, a book. <laughs> in a book. But, like, that's how Bears lived. Like, he lived, like, not in a way where it was, like, crazy and, and like, you know, the crazy dad coach. Like, just, like, so, like, I'm, I'm doing this to the absolute best of my abilities. Every single practice that we had, I'd get, uh, I think it was an email or a text saying, Hey, the practice plans in your email. And it was like a PDF that he had made either the week before the night before the day before the day of, I don't know. Um, and I get it. So I'd know cause I had to sail into practice like right on time. Cause I was coming from my gym working. And so I'd already, I could read it on the way there or when I had a free minute in the gym that day and I would know exactly what drills we were doing. And he'd say, Hey, I want you to do, you know, you're going to take this corner at this time and I want you to work on this or, you know, just here's the practice plan. Every single effing practice, and the other thing you, you talked about and the kids have confidence in you. And I wanted to say this for a very long time and we've talked about it. And I'm pretty sure I talked about bears and how good he was um, in the midget level with uh, trying to promote his players, all these kids and all these parents talking about advisors and this and that, when you have a really good coach and he cares uh, they're pushing you and bears had an email list and email chain for all the teams. And he's emailing the scouts of the different junior leagues Every single week, this is what we did this weekend. This is what the guys did. And it had a, a breakdown of every stat you can possibly imagine. I don't even know how he's getting all these stats, you know, and, and every single week he's pushing players. He's reaching out to coaches. So kids that are looking to, you know, when you have options for, for AAA teams or AA teams, Tof and I always say go to the best coach, but also like go to the coach who's helping his players move along as well and not not pushing in for you, if, if that makes sense. So his preparation was off the charts, endless. And there's a reason why we were able to do what we did the two years that, uh, that I at least got to coach with him. How, how has that evolved in your, uh, you know, in your coaching career in terms of the preparation and stuff? What are, because we start one way, but then you learn from people as you get to coach with different people. How was that perfect? Cause I do it like coaching preparate. It's, it's so important. Like how has that evolved for you? Um, just from learning from some guys that you've coached with. Yeah. I mean, I've been super fortunate to work with, um, you know, 
a Hall of Famer in Al McInnes, who, you know, I think the most amazing thing with working with Al is like you would have no idea that he was a Hall of Famer that you were working with. Like he was unbelievable to me. Um, I still consider him a friend to this day. Like, you know, just the life lessons he talked, you know, to me about on a daily basis. And, you know, he always believed in me as a coach. And so like I, you know, I mean, Al is just an unbelievable human being. And, you know, but I think the most, you know, important lessons I learned from Al is just, you know, how to be a better human being and how to be a better person, how to be an awesome husband. And um, just the life lessons I learned from him just really just carried over into my coaching and, um, you know, how much work I really have to put into it if I really want to achieve something great. And I want my teams, my teams to achieve something great. And so to me, like, you know, being prepared is just probably the one thing I learned from him the most is just like, you know, always be prepared for a situation, whether, you know, you just always have to be one step ahead of it. And, you know, using that all the way through, you know, the midget levels and then getting uh, with coach Strand in Sioux City this year and coach Avalon. I mean, it just kind of hikes it up a whole new level in regards to preparation. And um, I mean, Toph, you know how it is. I mean, heck, you spend 40 plus hours every single week to play, you know, five hours worth of a game on the weekend. And, you know, you maybe get a little rest on uh, on that Sunday and then you wake up the next morning and you're putting in 45 more hours to, you know, to play five more hours on the upcoming weekend. It's, you know, you just got to love doing it. And, you know, like I'm, I'm a hockey junkie, I'm a hockey nerd. And, um, you know, I've just loved every single minute of it, but I, I feel like that really started with, you know, being able to work with a guy like Al McInnes and, you know, obviously followed me through this year to be able to work with, you know, great coaches like, you know, Luke Strand and Mark Avalon. That's really That's cool. True. And I, I kind of want to dive into that because uh, the question that I get asked the most uh, is typically from younger coaches who are like, how do I get into it? Like, how do I get into it? What do I need to do? And my answer is always the same. One is do a good job. <laughs> wherever you at, wherever you are at, do a good job. Like develop your players um, and, and you know, care about them and, and like all the things that we're talking about right now, the stuff that you do, Bears. And then the other thing is like, just be a good person and be in like network, like get to know people. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Um, don't be afraid to, when you're in the rinks and you see somebody in, in a jacket and a clipboard, be like, Hey, my name is Mike Barra. I'm from St. Louis. Here are my best players. And just start to develop those relationships. Like this is a relationship business. And if people get to know you and people can learn to trust you and people see that you do a good job, you can advance in, in this. And the people who don't are the ones that are kind of like fake. And you know that all they want to do is advance. Like people get hired who care about their kids and do a good job, not first and foremost, number one. We can smell the people who are in it for the wrong reasons a mile away. So I wanted to ask you, like, did you get any, was, was going up the coaching ranks and having that as a profession and having that as a calling, was that always, that was something that was in the cards for you? Is it something that kind of developed as you got your feet wet at the youth level and then decided maybe this is something I want to do full time for a job. And then how, how did you take some steps to, to maybe get to being a youth coach to coaching in arguably one of the top junior leagues in the world? Yeah. It's, it's funny Toph. Like when I first started coaching, I was fresh out of college and I just wanted to get back involved in the game. Like it was just a void in my life that I was just, I was missing. And so I went to a local uh, youth organization called the Merrimack Sharks and um, just kind of told them I wanted to get coaching. And they, 
gave me a Bantam double A team, which is, which is crazy because I had never coached before. And it was actually the best team that um, they had in their program. I was a first year coach and um, I really just, I went all in with it. And, you know, with that organization, I mean, you know, you didn't get paid. Um, you actually basically paid to coach because they didn't pay for your travel. So um, I'd be, you know, driving to Chicago five times a year um, on my own, my own gas. Um, I'd be getting hotel rooms up in Chicago on my own card. Um, you know, it was crazy. And I did that for two years. And I mean, I, and I honestly, I loved every minute of it. Um, loved the kids that I was able to coach. Um, in doing that, I just kind of built a connection um, with some Chesterfield people. And they, after those two years, they asked me if I wanted to coach a squirt Central States team. And I didn't even know what Central States was, to be honest with you. Um, it wasn't really around when I was a kid. And um, I said, sure. Um, showed up to the first tryout. I had 12 kids. Um, none of them could stop both directions. Um, they couldn't cross over. Um, I Luis Mendoza. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was unbelievable. Um, so I, I was like, I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but, you know, let's uh, let's have some fun with it you know, along that path of working out at Chesterfield, um, with that team, I was able to connect with a guy named Craig Woodcroft, um, who, um, owned Northern edge hockey school at the time and kind of saw the practices I was running and they were station based. They were all skill based, um, because I really didn't have a choice. Um, we were just trying to teach the kids the basic skills of the game. And, uh, he loved what I did and he started bringing me out with him. And, um, I basically worked with him for free. Um, just so I could get on the ice with guys like Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk and Luke Cunning and all these pro guys. I just wanted to push bucks and I wanted to learn. Um, I worked with Craig for, for a year and um, he connected me with Al McInnes um, and Pee Wee major year. Um, Sean Farrell, who was coaching with um, Al McInnes got the video coach job at the St. Louis blues. So Al was looking for a new assistant. I jumped on with Al for a year. Um, loved every minute of that. And, uh, toward the end of the year, we were in Quebec and having a, having a beer. And he looked at me and said, I just want to let you know, like, I'm going to, you know, I want you to be the next head coach of this team next year. And so he, you know, gave me the team. I stuck with that team for gosh, I, I think almost five years I was with that, with that birth year. And, um, it was honestly the best five years of my life. I, you know, I, I love those kids. They, uh, you know, they became family to me. Um, just learned so much. Um, and quite frankly, like I learned through failure as well. Like it wasn't always, uh, it wasn't always, you know, roses with them. Like it was, you know, we had our ups and our downs and, you know, I had some parents that obviously weren't thrilled with, you know, some of the things I did and I look back on them and I even shake my head to this day. I was like, well, like, what was I thinking? Um, but you learn through those failures and I, and I certainly did that. And, um, you know, the last couple of years that I, you know, I was coaching midget hockey and, coaching with Vex. I mean, I credit a lot of my, you know, my success as a coach to, you know, Jeff, because, you know, Jeff helped me grow as a coach um, just as much as, you know, a guy like Al McInnes. I learned so much from him and um, just our conversations. And, you know, it was, it was amazing. And, you know, there's the amount of people that I met along the way, guys like, you know, Derek Pallardy, who I don't know if you know Toaf, but just an unbelievable human being. Um, a guy like Chris Durso, um, you know, buddy Casey Ott, um, that's working with the AAA Blues as well now. Like just so many great people I met along the way and so many coaches that I've stolen so many drills and um, had so many different conversations with that have helped me kind of get to where I am today. I think that, 
you know, that's just all part of the journey. And I mean, you know, I've learned something every single year that I've coached and, you know, to me, it's just, it's been an incredible journey and hopefully one that's just really kind of getting started. That's, that's unbelievable. That, that journey that, you know, we say it all the time. Like if you want something, you got to work for it and you never know anything's possible. And it's like, you started paying to coach, paying to drive your own gas, paying like that had to be, you know, $5,000 at least that year in gas and hotels. Like you lost five grand. It's amazing. Um, but I just want to go back real quick because, you know, everybody who listens to the show probably knows who Al McKinnis is. And he's, like you said, he's an unbelievable guy. Uh, that story was so cool. In my mind, it was like a dim bar in Pee Wee, Quebec. And he looks over, he's got that deep voice and it's Al McKinnis. And he's like, you know what? You're going to be the next coach. Like in my head, that was like the coolest conversation ever. Like how important is it for, um, you know, younger coaches um, to have like role models that, that really know how to coach and really understand the game. And that doesn't mean it's somebody who, who played the game at a high level, but like Al just knows the game. You talk to Al and like, he knows the game. He knows how it should be played, where it's going, where it came from. Like it's, it's unbelievable. So how, like, I think it's a really big deal. If you want to go places in coaching, you, you got to find mentors like that. Oh, I've asked, absolutely. I, I, I think the crazy thing, you know, is I never pretended like I played a high level of hockey and um, like I knew what I was as a hockey player and I was very blue collar, hardworking and um, really kind of just earned everything that that came my way. And um, I treat coaching the same exact way. Um, I don't believe that there is a stupid question. I probably have um, asked questions to um, many coaches like a Al McKinnis or a Keith Kachuk or a Jeff Brown that they kind of looked at me and probably, you know, really wanted to shake their head and be like, what is this, what is this guy asking me? Uh, but I was never afraid to ask those questions because I, I wanted to learn. And the only way you learn is by, you know, putting yourself out there and um, you know, just almost exposing your, you know, your weaknesses to them. And, but that's, that's what growth is all about. And that's what you have to do to grow. And, you know, I, I say the same thing to our, you know, your players all the time is if, if you don't work at something, you know, that you're weak at, like you're never going to improve those things. And so as a coach, it's the same way. If, if there's a weakness, you know, in your coaching, like you, you got to fix it or eventually it's going to, you know, it's going to come back and haunt you. And so every single year it's, it's just about learning and growing. I think you make an <laughs> unbelievable point. And I, I think, I think about this a lot as a coach, like, and I might've even said it before in this podcast, but like, I feel like we expect a lot of things of players and then don't really expect that from ourselves. You know, like the preparation piece to it, the making mistakes, fail forward piece to it. Um, a lot of things that we ask our players to do, we don't really hold ourselves to that same standard. Like, do you guys, have you seen, I, I don't know, have you seen that? Like as a coach, it's easy to be top down on everything, right? But I feel that the best coaches are right in the trenches with uh, with the players and are living the values and are living the standards right there with them. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, I think, I mean, fail forward. I think Vex has probably heard me say um, to our guys multiple times over the course of the last couple of years. And it's just, it's, it's so true. Like, you know, it's not necessarily that you fail. It's just how you respond to that failure. And um, I probably went in the locker room, many a times and looked our guys straight in the face, the guys like, you know what, that, that, you know, that goal against is on me or, 
you know, Hey, that game's on me. I didn't, you know, I didn't do the right things. I could have been better. I, you know, maybe I lost my cool on the bench that game or, um, you know, wasn't prepared, um, for a face-off play that I should have been prepared for. And, you know, I think it's just, it's taking that accountability to heart and, you know, to me, it's just all about caring and showing the guys that they, you really care about them and care about, you know, their success as a hockey player and success as a person. I, in the locker rooms that you guys have been in, I, I feel like um, one of the biggest things that can ease the pressure of a group is when a coach admits accountability and like admits fault and says, Hey guys, that, you know what, that one was on me. I I've been in locker rooms where the coach points a lot of fingers um, and that never does any good. <laughs> it just makes people clam up. Um, it makes people grip the stick a little bit tighter than they need to. Cause now they don't want to make mistakes. And I feel like when a coach comes in and it's gotta be authentic. I mean, obviously there's times where the players aren't working hard, where you got to give them a little bit of a kick in the seat. Um, but when a coach can go in and say, Hey, you know what guys, or even on a Monday after a weekend and say, Hey, you know what? Like my preparation wasn't as good as it needed to be. And that's on me and I'm going to be better this week. Um, I, I feel like that's one of the most powerful things that can build relationships between a team and, and a coach. And ultimately the byproduct of that is buy-in and you'll get so much more out of the players when you hold yourself to those same standards. And then you can look yourself in the mirror and then look the players in the eye and say, Hey, you know what? I need to be better because then you can ask those guys to be better and it's going to be genuine. And they know that it's, it, it, there's a lot behind that. I 100% agree and kind of along those same lines, similar situation, you know, people always want to talk about the good stuff that happens in their lives and they never talk about the bad, but it's the bad that we learn from my last year pro. I was going through some stuff personally with, you know, uh, my marriage kind of being on the rocks and ending and her staying in the U S and me, me finishing out my career over there. And, uh, wasn't having the best season to start off. And, and I was the highest paid guy on the team. They brought me in to score goals and I wasn't scoring enough. And, the GM comes in and rips the whole team, puts my stats on the board with like the other highest paid guys stats on the board, like circles that I was like minus, you know, whatever I was minus and not enough goals circled that, whatever the coach didn't know that the GM was having that meeting. His name's Ben Wallaport, unbelievable guy. He comes in and he's like, loses it. And he's like, are you goes after the GM yells at him, comes back in, erases the board. He's like, no one does that to my team. Like, no one is doing that. And, and like, I don't care what's going on. Like, we're a team. This is together. I'm part of you guys. I will not stand for that. And it bonded us. And we went on a tear. I scored, like, that night or the next night. Like, broke my stick over the bench. And I think I yelled, F you, the GM's name. And the camera caught it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, boy, the boys were loving it. Like, they replayed it the next day in the video. It was awesome. And, you know, I don't. I don't blame the GM. Like he's just trying to fire us up and do his job. And you know, it is what it is, but that coach standing up for me and the other guys and the team, like, wow, we were all like, wow, this is unbelievable. And uh, I'll never forget that. And, and you know, it's true. Like there would be times where, you know, bears would, he says he would make a mistake, you know, but the kids make the mistakes in the games and, and he would take onus on it. And the kids would be like, you just see like a weight lifted off their shoulders. And he did it at the right time. It's not something you got, you want to do all the time. You got to read the locker room, read the situation, read the game, know the time of the season, what's your schedule like, who you're playing next week. There's a lot that goes into those decisions, and it's methodical. And that's what he was when he would use that strategy from a coaching standpoint, and it, and it works really well when you do it correctly. Yeah, there's a time where 
hard coaching is necessary and there's a time where a little bit of reflection and perspective is uh, is necessary. I thought you said bad cop, bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but going along with that, guys, um, and Bears, I'll ask you this question. Like, I feel like there's nothing more powerful as a player, and, and I mean like as a team of players, than when you know that your coach has your back and you know that the coach is, is in the trenches with you. So how do you feel like you can gain that trust and you can gain that feeling from the players where they know that as a coach, you have their back? Well, it's so funny, Toph, like this year in, in Sioux City, like it was actually like, obviously it was my first year coaching junior hockey, but it was also really one of the first years I've had as, as an assistant coach in, in quite some time. So it was a really just big adjustment for me because you know, I wasn't brought in to be this badass coach and scream and yell. And, and I really just had to gain the trust of my players. And, you know, I, I feel like I really just did that through hard work and, you know, making myself available to the guys, you know, all the time. And didn't mean if it was, you know, staying two hours on the ice after practice or, you know, doing video with, you know, a player that maybe was struggling a little bit or just pulling a guy aside when you see that he's just putting a lot of pressure on himself and just, you know, making sure he's, he's okay away from the ring you know, like how's school, like, um, you know, is there anything going on at home? Like how's life? Like, and just really showing that you, that you care about them and that, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I want you to produce as a hockey player, but, you know, I really want to make sure that, you know, your life's in order and, and you're fine. And I think that to me as a coach, you know, you're not going to get what you can out of a player if they don't think you care about them. And um, I think that's just the one thing that you know, I've really, you know, focused on my last few years of coaching, especially is just making sure that every single guy in that room knows I love them and knows I care about them and knows, you know, they know that I'd run through a wall for them. And, you know, it's not something you could just say, like, you can't go into the room and say, Hey, like I'm, you know, I run through a wall for you guys because, you know, kids are probably smarter than we give them credit for at times. You got to show them. And um, it's just not by saying the words, it's just by investing in those, you know, players just as people and um, coach strand you know really was awesome with that this year and in sioux city he has a saying that the person makes the player and um, i love it like i i've stolen it from him i use it all the time and um but like i said you can't just use those words like you just gotta you know make sure that you know those guys in that room know that that you love them you care about them and you do anything for them one of the things that I did my last couple of years at, uh, at Cornell is I'd give a survey to, to our players and I worked primarily with the forwards, So I would do it just kind of like with the forwards and ask them a bunch of questions. And, and two of the questions I had on there were, um, one to 10, how did I care? How much did I care about you as a player? And then one to 10, how did I care about you as a person? And it was amazing feedback and it was great validation because that's something that I care about a lot. And I really want my players to know that, that I care about them. Um, and, uh, it was funny. I was just going through, we're, we're in the process of moving right now. So, and I keep all my notes and everything. And, and I completely forgot that I had did that. And, uh, so I was looking through stuff and I saw those and, and uh, it just, it gave me such a great feeling seeing that feedback and, and knowing, because there's certain things that as coaches, we want to emphasize. And I think a lot of the best coaches emphasize that care. Um, but I, I, I also think that a lot of coaches want to 
and do care about their players, but maybe don't put the actions necessary to, to act like, cause it's easy to care about somebody just by your thoughts. You know, like I, I really care about this kid. I care about the team, I blah, 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 blah. But then if you don't like act on it and you don't do the things to show it, then it doesn't really matter. And so I, uh, I, I think it's great to get feedback from the players, especially on those things, because that's, that's only going to make you better. And, and, uh, uh, God, it made me feel good to see that my players knew that I care about them. Nothing better. Yeah, Tope. I mean, I I can say, like, and, you know, Vex was coaching me at the time. It was We were coaching a U18 team, and we were doing accent meetings. And I feel like the, I actually heard you guys talking the other day about meeting with players throughout the course of the year. And it's something that um, we did a lot of with our groups. We'd always meet with them before and you know, maybe even twice during the season, just individually, and then obviously did an accident interview. And, um one of my, one of the hardest things I heard, you know, that year was I had a player that basically just told me, he goes, I don't, I didn't think he cared about me. And I, I mean, that honestly, like it crushed me. Like he could have called me the worst coach he's ever had. He could have said, I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, my practices were horrible. My game management was horrible. But the one thing, you know, he just said, he goes, I just didn't think he cared about me. And um, that's when I heard that, I just basically said to myself like that, that will never happen again. I'm, I'm never going to have a player that plays for me that, you know, thinks I don't care for him. Um, because I mean, it, it crushes you. I mean, I think that as a coach, I mean, that, that's just the number one thing for me. It's just, those guys got to know I care and, you know, I have their best interest at heart. And, you know, I feel like if I, if I don't have that with my players, then I'm just not doing my job. Yeah. And, and I think the best way to do that, this is something that I've learned from some good coaches that I've coached with and just in, in reading stuff is like, if you're prepared with a communication strategy with your players on your team, that goes a long way. So like every practice you write down three kids that you have to have some sort of interaction with away from what the hockey, you have to do this drill or whatever. And it could be as simple as just going up and saying how school and blah, 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 or it could be something a little bit more deep, but I, the best coaches, I think they, they like, there's a method to their madness as you guys were talking about before from a communication standpoint and like kids love to be communicated to and, and talk to, I think that's a huge way of showing that you care and not even necessarily talking about anything hockey, but just how's life. And you watch the documentaries, Jeff, all the time of um, behind the scenes type stuff. And a lot of times when players talk about coaches caring, it's, it's because they talked about things other than sports and they cared about me as a person. And if you can find a way as a coach to have a method to what you do with that. Um, and it, it, it can be as simple as every three weeks, I need to make sure that I'm having some sort of a conversation with somebody or every two weeks or once a month, what, whatever, uh, works for you and your situation. But there, there is a preparation to that that can really help. Something that, that I took from my career, when I played in the Austrian League, my team was uh, in Hungary, actually. There's a couple, there's like eight Austrian teams and four or five teams that were in countries surrounding Austria. And my team was right outside Budapest. Their culture there, when guys walk in the locker room uh, in the morning for practice or for games, uh, they walk around and they either like shake everyone's hand or like fist bump or like high five every single day, every single day. And like, we'd laugh as imports after like the first couple of weeks and be like, this is like, so, all right, every time somebody new comes in, they go around to every single guy in the locker room. Like, what's up? What's up? What's up? But 
it it connects you. It connects oh, you. Oh, were you thinking of Night at the Roxbury? Yes. Yeah, you were. What's up? Two, Stop. three. Two. Three. <laughs> sorry. Like when I said it, I was you're on like, a roll yeah, there. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you don't know Night at the Roxbury, don't listen to our podcast. Uh, we don't want you here. Um, but uh, it, it's something that I took to my company right away. And I started doing that every time guys walk in the gym, give them a high five or a fist bump. And after every single workout, every single workout, the workout ends, I walk around the room after we do the breathing and I give guys a high five. I look them in the eye and I'm like, you know, way to F and go today. Or like, you know, like you worked hard or like if guys, if somebody was slacking, I'll look him in the eye and I'll be like, you know, like a little bit more. And it's just like that, like, and when they walk in, like if there's, you know, space between the guys, I'll be like, you know, how was school today? How was this? They have something, they had a dance this week, this past weekend, it was prom. How was prom? And they, I think that's why they, they work so hard for me because they know I care about them. Like they know it. I know what's going on in their life. And I ask them about it. And I truly want to know, you know, because I think that that will help me to know how their what their triggers are to motivate them to get more out of them. I, I just I look at that as an investment in your players, Vax. I mean, I think you have to invest in. I mean, it's just you know, it, you just look at the kids nowadays, and just I know how a lot of coaches are like, oh, you know, it's it's so different. These kids are so different. They want to know this or they want to know that, but. I just, I think it's our job to just have that communication with them and, and invest in them just, you know, not only on the ice, but off the ice as, as people. And like I said, it just, it always comes back to that for me. It's just showing that investment, you know, in them as human beings, not just hockey players. Oh, I love it. I could talk about this stuff all freaking day. This is unreal stuff. Um, Bears, I got a question for you. So, you know, we have a lot of youth coaches that listen to this podcast. Um, you've been, you know, I, I don't want to say promoted because it's not the same organization, but you earn the job from a youth level going to coach at the junior level. Looking back at your experience now after coaching for Luke Strand, who's an amazing coach in Sioux City at the USHL, like what would you tell your youth hockey coach self now having this experience at the junior level that you think would have made you a better coach at the youth level? I mean, I think the big thing for me is just, I think everyone gets, you know, wrapped up in, you know, these, my hockey rankings, um, or winning hockey games. And it's just, I I get like, look, like I'll be the first one to admit, like I, I, I've been that coach. I I was that coach at, at times. And, um, you know, you're always looking, you know, it's, but it's crazy. I think people lose sleep, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday night, whenever those rankings come out, you know, just because they're, living and dying on what, you know, if their team moved up a spot or down a spot. And um, it's, so you're saying that high level coaches and junior coaches don't give a crap about the ranking that your, your kid's team is. Are you serious? (laughs) I know it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, Wow. But no, I, I, and I, but you know, look, I, I was guilty of that as well along the way. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Like, I think that as coaches, if our focus is on showing up to the rank every single day to make these, kids, better hockey players and better people, we're doing our job. And um, I, you know, the one thing I'd probably say to a lot of youth coaches is, you know, if you're coaching, you know, U12 um, peewee hockey, well, like your job isn't to get a kid to the USHL. Your kid, your job is to do everything you can to make sure that kid loves the game and can maybe play U13 AAA hockey the next year. And if he makes you 13 triple a hockey, well, guess what? Like your job that year is to do everything that you can to make him love the game 
and want to play U14 AAA hockey the year after that. And at some point, yeah, it does get a little more serious. And, you know, maybe it is a little bit more about wins or, you know, maybe, you know, it is a little bit more about getting to that next level and playing junior hockey. But, you know, you just got to love it every single day. And you just got to make sure that, you know, you understand that, you know, your job is just to make sure that your players love playing, they're getting better. And, you know, obviously, like, you know, you throw out the word having fun, which is, you know, crazy nowadays in youth hockey and sitting on the sidelines and listening to parents scream and yell and it's nuts. But, you know, like, that's what I would tell my, my youth coaching self would just be, just enjoy it and love it. Tove, talking about having fun, we, we started doing uh, pods. We'd split forward and D. Um, Bears had the kids doing that the second year when we coached U16 together. And the kids absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was like, it was massive. Like they got way more puck touches. We shortened the time. So like forwards would come out, I think for like 40. Um, and then there'd be like 20 where there was the whole team. Then the forwards would get off and go work out and the D would come on for 40. And so like they got way more puck touches, um, you know, more intense reps, stuff like that, shorter practice time, getting it off the ice. And we played music during it. We let, you know, whoever the DJ was that week, the kids would decide or pick a DJ and throw the music on. And they looked forward to it and they loved, they absolutely loved it. It was so cool to see, you know, like, it doesn't matter how you get the kids to buy in, you know, you get them to buy in they're having fun. They're learning. They want to be there. They're going to give more, which will make them be more. What's up? Tell's got the hoodie on. I got the shirt on. You guys can't see it, but what's up. And, uh, you know, but like, like having fun is so freaking important. I, I can honestly say that, you know, you got to have that mix. And I've talked about my last year coaching, which was, you know, last season, not this COVID season that just happened. And I went to Bears and I tell I told our team this, you know, midway through the year. After the first practice I could come through, I go, Bears, I don't think we're gonna win a game this year. And, and we were just in the locker room, like, oh my God, like this is gonna be a tough one. And we just made the decision, we're just gonna go straight up for development. We don't care what happens at the beginning of the year. Our goal is to be better at the end of the year. And through fun and you know, workshopping ideas and doing the the four D splits and you know, meetings and doing everything we could to help these kids. We went from being like 0 and 11 in the first 11 games to like 10, one and one in our last 11 games going in absolutely hot the second half of the season. It was so cool to see all of these things pay off and fun was a big part of it. That's unreal. That's so, that's so unreal. I just like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just even thinking about that. And it, it, that's another thing. I love that pods idea because youth hockey season is an absolute grind. And so if you can find a way to change things up and we would do that at the college level all the time, I'm sure you guys did in Sioux city too. Um, and I also think it's funny. Like I, I go back and reflect about like at the beginning of this whole COVID thing <laughs> um, and how it was, how many people came up to me and were like, yep, this is a development year this year. You know, since we're not going to be playing that many games, this is a development year. And we've talked to, I heard that from so many people. <laughs> it's like, oh, this year is going to be a development year. What about every other year? Like, come on. <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, give me a coach who starts my hockey rankings at 50 and ends up at 30 rather than having one that starts at three and ends at three. Yeah, like any day of the week. I just, that's your job. 
your job as a youth coach is to make sure the kids get better. And a, and a byproduct of that is going to be more wins. And I, I got to say this too, because I train a lot of the kids still that are, that are still playing and moving on to juniors and college and, you know, up the ranks here from, from two years ago. And they all talk about that year in the gym all the time, all the, they're like most fun year of my life. Like I miss bears. Like, you know, it's wild, man. It's, it's really cool. And we were, Oh, and 11. It's like they completely forgot about it because they got so much better while having fun at the end of the year. We were just a, a force. We were killing it, you know, and like beginning of the year, the sky was falling and bears and I just kept preaching. No, don't worry about the scores. Like we're trying to win every game, but if we don't, it's not, it doesn't matter. The end of the season's what matters. We're going to get better every day and just trust this process. And luckily they really trusted us. So bears, I'm sitting here as a, as a, you know, somebody that's seen a lot of stuff in youth hockey. And, you know, I, I, I think about you and Vex taking on this mentality being 0-11 to start the year, especially. Um, how did you manage the, the parents when it came to that stuff? Because let's call a spade a spade here. I mean, parents, like you said, wake up at whatever on Thursdays to, to check the my hockey rankings. Um, how did you manage that situation? Yeah, I mean, I was just pretty honest with them from the start. I think everyone, you know, to an extent understood, you know, where we may have, you know, been as a team and we kind of just, you know, outlined exactly how we were going to approach, you know, every single, you know, weekend and every single game. And, you know, it's, it's funny with that year. It's just like, we, we didn't come out and say, okay, we don't have a great team. We're just going to play a bunch of bad teams. And we came out, we, you know, we were playing some pretty big events and uh, we, you know, we took some licks along the way, but I think it was just really just having that open communication with the parents and, you know, making sure that they knew like there was a plan. Um, there was like a method with some of the madness. Um, like Vex said, we tried a lot of different things that they probably, you know, weren't, you know, used to. Um, but I think like the big thing that, you know, we really had going for us is just our positivity around the kids and um, you know, we, we hoped and, you know, hopefully it did happen, but, you know, if, you know, the parents would talk to their, their player and ask, you know, Hey, like, you know, what are you guys been doing at practice? Like you guys lost, you guys went 0 and three this weekend. And, you know, like, are you, you know, what, like what's going on? And the kids saying that, you know, Hey, look, like we love going to the rink and um, we love showing up for practice. Like it's, you know, we're moving around, we're working on, you know, all of our skills, like we're getting better, like it's going to pay off. And, you know, we, we never, you know, screamed and yelled and, you know, laid in the guys, you know, that year, it was all positive and you know, we kept it positive at all times. Like we didn't, you know, demean kids. Like we, I just, I look back and remember a situation Vax, and you'll, you'll probably laugh at it too. Like you know, we had a defenseman on the team. who was just, you know, he's a, he's a heck of a hockey player and he made some mistake and he came to the bench and I mean, it was like a yard sale. Like he was throwing gloves, helmets, sticks. I mean, it was the most, like, it was honestly the, it was the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen standing behind the bench on a kid's reaction after a mistake. And I looked at him and I said, Hey, like, you're fine. Like, you're okay. Like, like because I think he would honestly thought that you were going to scream, we were going to yell and you were going to ridicule. Him. And it was really just, it was positive. Like it was understanding, like we mentioned earlier, like failing forward. Hey, look, like you made a mistake. Like, you know, you made a mistake. Like it's going to be okay. And so we were just really positive throughout the course of that entire season. And, you know, I think, like I said, the parents saw that positivity. The parents saw how hard we were working to, you know, 
turn this thing around. And, you know, thankfully just with the players buying into what we were doing and, and loving coming to the rink and working hard, like we were able to do it. And I mean, I wish I could take credit, uh, take a lot of credit for that season and our turnaround, but at the end of the day, like all, all those kids, they could have just got so fed up and upset and, you know, really kind of shut her down in December, but you know, they really just, they turned it around. They ripped off like 14 or 15 games in a row at one point. I mean, it was, it was honestly one of the you know best seasons I've ever had coaching. Just, it was so much fun. It was such a great group of guys. And, you know, I know Vex says they talk about me all the time. I mean, I still talk about that group all the time. I mean, just really special group. And, um, you know, I love every one of those guys. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Well, we've had you on for, some time now, but I do want to ask you because I, I, like I said, I get asked all the time, well, how do I get, how do I make it? How do I get into coaching? What's, what's the biggest thing? And, and you've done it, you know, you've, I've, I was lucky <laughs> in, in my moving up the coaching ranks. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like everybody's got a different journey and I was fortunate enough to play at a school that when I was getting into the coaching ranks, um, you know, two of their coaches left. So there are two spots available and that's how I got into college coaching. But I know that it's, it's a much more difficult for most other people than that uh, to get to those highest levels. So you've, you've worked your way from being a, a double A coach, having to pay your way up into Chicago uh, to again, like I said, coaching at the USHL level, um, one of the top junior leagues in the world. If you had advice for somebody that was in your position five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, um, what would your advice be? Just to me, it's just, it's just about putting in the work and, you know, understanding that, you know, you're, you're not going to be judged by wins and losses. At least hopefully you're not um, just about how you handle yourself day in and day out and you know, how you go about your job. And, you know, it's, it's hard work. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, this year in Sioux city, like, it was unbelievable working with, you know, the guys I was able to work with and it's, it's a heck of an opportunity, but you know, that opportunity really started from, you know, scouting with those guys, you know, four years prior to that and building a relationship with, you know, coach strand and coach Avalon where, you know, they did trust me to come in and, um, you know, take a role as an assistant coach. And, you know, they saw the work that I put in on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's, you know, having, you know, good connections with, you know, guys in St. Louis, um, whether it's, you know, Lloyd Ney, who owns the Sioux City Musketeers or, you know, Al McInnes, um, you know, showing them how, you know, hard I will work to achieve something and um, how I'll put my nose to the grindstone and, you know, lock myself in a room until I find a, find an answer or find a way out of it. So, um, you know, my advice to every single coach, to me, that's coaching out there in youth hockey that has aspirations of, coach at the next level is just continue to work, be yourself. Um, don't try to be someone you're not. Um, and just love every single minute of it. Like, I don't, I don't look at coaching as a job. Like I, it's, it's a passion for me. And, um, it's, if you don't love it, like it's just the grind will get to you because, you know, there are some long hours and, um, there's some long bus trips and, um, but you know, honestly, like I, I embrace it all and I, I absolutely love it. And, um, you know, my wife probably doesn't love it sometimes, but, um, but, you know, she understands that it's such a huge passion of mine and, um, it's just, it's been an incredible journey and I'm extremely fortunate to, um, you know, have the opportunities I've had and meet the people that I've uh, been able to meet in this game. Well said, my man. Well said. This was a lot of fun, Vex. I told you, bro. I told you I could pick them. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, Bears, this was this was awesome, dude. Like this was really cool getting you on the podcast. Um, I you know, like Vex, I, like I said, he talks about you all the time. And uh, I think our listeners, after getting to know you a little bit more uh through this hour that we've been together, I think they'll they'll certainly understand why. So keep on doing that work, keep doing a great job. Um, and I'm sure we'll be running Indiana rink. I'll be nearer. I'll be around. I'll be around the, uh, the rinks in the Midwest here coming up pretty soon. So I'm sure we'll be seeing you at a rink near you. Awesome guys. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's, you know, listen to you guys often. So it's uh, fun to hop on here with you guys. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> <You're my best. laughs>